I, I thank God for uh, Austin and uh, and Miranda, and we've only had Austin back uh, just a few weeks now, a couple of weeks, and it's been it's been quite a uh, reintroduction into society. He's come back and went right back uh, to to work, got a job. He is now the uh, diesel science, the director of diesel science for Vatterock College. So thank God for that. Amen. He got he got home and the guy that was in charge of that resigned and and he stepped it just never missed a step stepped right in that position but it's been a lot to uh it's been a lot to try to uh comprehend and in two weeks start getting out of uh the rehab down in in mississippi starting a job and preaching his first sermon so that's all taking place in a couple of weeks here <laughs> praise god so I want you to I want you to welcome Austin as he comes to to bring the word today. Amen. start. Um, the first thing I want to do is I want to play, um, I want to play a video just in case there's any question as to who we serve, as to the name of God and how powerful it is and how it applies to us. Um, so if you're ready, Damon, let's, uh, let's roll it. Amen. That's my king. Um, we're going to move on to some pictures now. How many of y'all know uh, oppression? Oppression. We've been talking about it a little bit and the many faces of it and the disguisedness of it. Um, we're going to do some before and after pictures of where I was at up until the time that I uh, decided, you know, God spoke to me. And how many of you know that you got to have a breakdown before you can have a breakthrough? It's, it's what has to happen. You've got to come to a place of brokenness, humbleness, submission, ready for the change. So this is, um, this is me right before I went into the home of grace. I was ate up with uh, many things. And it, it all started probably three years prior to this. Um, I hurt my back while I was at work and went to the doctor, and the doctor gave me a script full of uh, hydrocodones. And I, I knew deep down that it wasn't a good idea. Um, but I justified it, you know, because it was from a doctor, and I really had a hurt back, so I needed it. So I began, I began to take them, and... Um, as I began to take them, I remembered just how much I liked them. So it began um, the road that took me to this point. See, as you get into sin, you realize that you need a little bit more because it never satisfies, because it's not the real answer. 
You, uh, so you start with the script that the doctor gives you and then you realize that that's not enough. So you move on and you start getting them illegally from other people, thinking that's gonna do it. And it will, for a matter of time. And then you're just gonna keep taking more and more and more until um, you get to a point that you, morals go out the window. You, you've built a wall in between you and God at this point, which is addiction. And you're, you're on a highway to hell in a hurry. And you're not looking anywhere around you. Um, ste stepping up in my addiction, in my tolerance, um, going places that I never thought I would go before, and then the faces of um, oppression, just hiding it everywhere I went. I was okay, there was nothing wrong, everything was all right in my life. When underneath that fake face, underneath the, um, all the things that I was making look okay, I was um, fully addicted to heroin, um, using um, meth, using Xanax, using any opioid I could get my hand on, and I was, I was a full-blown functioning addict. And um, working a job, making everything look like it was okay in my world. But inside, I was falling apart. Um, the way Satan gets to you in the start is, is on an emotional basis is where he attacks you. He attacks you... Um, he attacks you through fear, guilt, shame, jealousy, pride, anxiety, depression, just to name a few. And once he has convinced you that this is your burden to bear, then he's got you. You believe the lie. Once you believe and accept the lie is whenever you give him a foothold in your life to step it up a notch because it's never good enough for him. Because in John 10.10, 10, it says a thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So to get control of your mind is just a start. That's where it begins. It starts there. And then the destruction begins to take place. And he hands it to you in those, in, in those hours of your life, whenever you're giving up, whenever you have accepted the lie, he hands you a ripe apple and says, here, eat this. This will help for now. This will cure the problem. So you take that, just like Adam and Eve did, just as he deceived them. Um, it's disguised in the apple, but it's chains and addiction. Only a temporary relief that eventually puts you in a prison of bondage. Um, in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, I'm going to speak on... Um, just what happened in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, 
For God knows that in the day you eat, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to her eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves coverings. So why do you think they made fig leaves to cover themselves? Because of the deception that what he was offering was going to be good enough, and it was going to open everything in their life that they didn't have. He deceived them, and it only brought... Guilt, shame, condemnation, low self-worth, failure, all these things. But that's not what he portrayed him whenever he gave it to him. You see, he deceived him. He, he knew what would happen. And that's what he wants. That's what he's after. He's after, he's after your soul. I'm going to turn to Matthew 3. I'm going to go on a little journey here with, uh, with Jesus. You know, they say if you're going to follow him, you may want to know a little bit of something about him. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, if you're a Christian, that means you're a Christ, you know, follower. You may want to know the life he lives if you're going to follow it. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to skip forward a little bit. We're going to skip forward to the point where Jesus comes. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us all to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in who I am well pleased. See, obedience got him to this point, taking on the ministry. But then, then what happens in chapter 4? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You're thinking, well, he just got... He just got all righteousness brought down to him and the spirit indwelling in him and now he immediately gets sent to the wilderness to be tempted um, by the devil. So let's, uh, let's think about the devil. Let's go back and uh, let's see a little background on him. Before the world came into existence, he was in heaven. He was an archangel called the Morning Star. He was in charge of worship, which is the reason why worship is so powerful when we come from the light of Christ. He was seated in heaven with Christ. So when Jesus was in the desert, he had fasted for 40 days, and afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, 
It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now let's think about this a little bit. So whenever Satan is coming at, at Jesus, you know, it's not, it's not a stranger. It's not, it's not someone that he's never seen before. When he comes up to him, it's, a, it's not an awkward moment. It's a, hey, old friend, here I am. I'm, I'm, you know who I am. You know I rule and reign down here. You know that I can make all these problems go away, and you know that you can too. He goes on the second time, took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And you got to think about it because Christ is in a human body in the flesh. So he's both God and he's man, but he's living in a world. So he is, he's making himself live in the world as a man. He could take away any of this at any time, but he's doing it to prove to us that through him it can be done. So when he said, all, he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Because that's what he wants. He's, you know, that's all he wants. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the, your, the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. So when, and think about it this way too. It's not just an old friend, you know. It's a, it, it, it's a co-worker. It's, it's someone that you have been down this road with before who's coming back. He, he's not coming on his own accord. He's being sent by someone to offer you back. To where you once were before. But if you can withstand temptation only through Christ, it says that the angels came and ministered to him. So once you've made it to the other side, um, they're there to catch you. <clears throat> when Jesus, whenever Satan came to Jesus, um, notice that two times that he came to him was at his weakest points, whenever everything was too much, whenever life had gotten too complicated whenever your job was asking too much of you and putting too much demand and pressure on you, um, you just lost your best friend, um, your marriage is on the rocks, you know, all these things Satan can use against you to get what he wants out of you. The second time that he tempted um, Christ that I've got here is in the Garden of Gethsemane. In, in the Garden, he said, it's too much. You can't handle the sin of all mankind. Now, remember, they knew each other presently, you know, in the history. And it, it was at a moment of desperation, a moment of desperation when he was asking God. He was sweating drops of blood because he was so consumed with what was to come that he could barely handle it. And then Satan comes slithering in. You can always count on that. 
When you're at your lowest moments in life, when you think that everything's just falling apart, there's a decision to be made. There's, there's either you're going to fall weak and go the easy route, or you're going to trust in God to bring you through it. <clears throat> he was asking for the cup to be passed from him. He discerned the voice of Satan and his lies, and he knew what he had to do. He knew it was coming. He knew that it was the last thing that he really wanted to do because taking on the sin of the world is something um, none of us can even comprehend, barely comprehend the own sin in our own life, let alone everyone's sin because everyone has issues. Everyone has struggles. But what he had to do was he bruised his heel and crushed the serpent's head. He, he, he shut him down. He, he said, you're not, you're not gonna get to me. This is something that's divine that I've been called to do, and you're not going to stop me. Not even carrying the sins of the world, but just to walk in shame to Calvary, to be spat on, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be bruised. When you think you're having a bad day, just picture that moment. Picture the moment of him before ascending to the upright position on the cross, the pain that he has endured up to that point for you and for me, that we don't have to endure these problems. And we're reminded also that any time during this, he could have removed himself. He could have cast himself down from the cross. He could have walked away at any time. He could have undone everything. But in that, it would have accomplished nothing except for giving the devil power and showing us that um, everyone's going to fail. Because he battled this in human flesh. He didn't do this from a God standpoint. He came into the world, God and man, but he subjected himself to be man to show us that he's going to endure all the pain that we have to go through. You know, no matter what you're going through, if it's anything with work, if it's anything with your family, if it's anything, you know, if you've, if, if you've got problems and trials happening, he, he's showing you that he's been through it. He understands. And if he didn't love you, he wouldn't have hung on that cross. He wouldn't have given his life up so that we may have life. See, the life we live here is, is only for a short season. The life is to come is eternity, and it's eternal. So to follow him is a must. And if you think that you're strong enough on your own, you're only pulling yourself, there's no way, absolutely no way. Someone who was completely pure, Eve in the garden, I've got, in the very beginning, Satan came up to her, who knew nothing but what was right. He's been doing this since the beginning. If you think you can take him on by yourself, you're wrong. And uh, you've got failure to gain. It's only through repentance. That's the only way. To repent means that you're traveling on a road towards sin. Most people have this confused, which I did too. I thought, you know, I came to church and it was okay, that I was saved, you know. I came to church, I walked through the motions, I did the whole religion thing, 
but inside, I, I was as far away from God as I'd ever been in my life. To repent means that you're, you're walking towards sin and you have an encounter with God. And at that point in that encounter, you ask for forgiveness for everything that you've done and you turn and you walk away. When you begin that walk, that's when salvation happens. That's when the blood becomes active in your life. That's whenever other people will see you and say, what's happened to you? You're totally different. It's, it's, it's the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you what happened to me. Jesus changed my life, and he can change yours too. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone... There's no prejudice there. It doesn't, your, it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you're hiding, what you're covering up, where you've been, what you think that you can't be forgiven of. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creature. You are a new being in that moment. But... If you are in Christ, there's, there's something that comes with that. You're saved, yes. You've repented, yes. But to be in Christ, you've got to subject yourself to his lordship. Allow him to rule and reign and to bring you into the kingdom of God. To be in a kingdom, you've got a Lord, and he reigns over you. He, he, he directs you in the way you should go and the way that will prosper you. So whenever you do this, you have to fully surrender. There's not any coming to the altar, which I've done many, many times, saying, God, I'm giving you everything. Have my life, take me, mold me, shape me into who you want me to be, but you can't have this. You don't even know it's there. I'm just going to hide that. But anyway, you know, I'm yours. Take me, use me. Yeah, no, it, does, it doesn't quite work like that. Whenever you fully surrender to God, you're saying, here's my life. I understand. I understand what you did for me. You gave all for me. So how can I think that I can't give all for you? You came down here in human flesh, come to a point of hanging on a cross, Giving your life, going to hell, getting the keys of sin and death so that <clears throat> we may all have life. But I think that, you know, I can hold on to this. That's not how it works. If you're doing that, you're only fooling yourself. And you're going to continue in the sin that so entangled you before that moment. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 says, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Denying yourself doesn't feel good. It doesn't at all. It's not what you want. You're born into a fleshly body. Your body wants to do what is pleasing to the flesh in a world that justifies it. To deny your flesh 
is to put yourself away. You put away what you want. You put away what you desire. You put away where you want to go, and you pick up your cross, just as Christ did, and you follow him. And that's daily. Every single morning whenever you get up, you've got to pick up your cross, and you've got to prepare yourself for the day to come, knowing that your life carrying that cross is going to affect everyone you run into. Standing firmly on the word of God, just as Christ did whenever he was uh, in the desert starving. He went straight to the word. Even though he was in a God position, he was also in a flesh position. And he was showing us how to come against the devil. Only by the word, only by the written word of God can we overcome the power of sin and death that reigns in in this world period. Putting on the armor of God. Every single morning when you get up, you have got to dress up. Because as soon as you walk out that door, something's going to happen. And, and you're either going to go with the flesh, or you're going to go with the spirit on how you react to that situation. If you've got the armor of God on, you're walking in the light. And when you're walking in the light, how you handle situations is going to affect other people that see you handle those situations. And it's going to make them wonder, what do they have? Why, why can't I act like that in a situation like that? Because <clears throat> the, the, Satan's going to be out there waiting to throw fiery darts of any sort and any kind. He's going to come at you any way he possibly can. He's been doing this for a long time. He's a master of deception, a master of disguise. It can happen just like that. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says to be sober-minded. It doesn't mean to be drunk with wine, to be high on drugs. It means to be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. How's he going to prowl around? He's not literally going to be looking like a lion. He's going to come at you in many sorts and many fashions of acquaintances, old friends, people you used to know, something that's comfortable, something that's inviting because that's what he wants. He wants to invite you back. He wants to make you think that it's okay just this one time. Just, this, just do it this one time. It's the answer now, and then you can quit again but that's not how it works. Whenever he comes at you, he doesn't care anything about you. He, he, he wants to kill you, destroy you, and that's, that's his purpose here on earth. So let's go back to the pictures. How about that? Through the restoration, this is after one month of being in Home of Grace, which is discipleship place where they, they, um, you eat, breathe, and live the Word of God daily. And that's what you do. You, you learn. That way you'll be ready whenever you come back out. All right, let's hit the next one. That's after two months of being in the program. My sweet mom, which, man, I am blessed to have a family like I do. A family out here, 
a wife that stood beside me, wrote me letters. Um, man, she, she has blown me away with how much she has grown in the walk with Christ and, and supporting me through all of this. Because there's a lot of guys in the program that um, they were going through a divorce because of this. Um, they, they were in debt up over their ears because of this. They didn't have anybody because of this. Broken, down, and out because they made a decision to follow Satan, which was disguised as something good. Do we have another slide? Is that it? That's graduation. That's after three months being in the program. While I was in the program, I had wondered, and I'd always said, you know, God, I want to follow you. God, I want to do what you want me to do. But I was never willing to give up me in the process. And I thought that I had answered the call of God on my life. I thought that, you know, I was following him and that I was doing what he wanted me to do and that I was going to preach and teach and I was nowhere near ready. And I got to wondering, you know, how do I really know that I'm, you know, that, that I've answered the call? How do I honestly know that? There's not been any, you know, divine happening, nothing. So the next night I go to chapel and Pastor Ted from a local church there um, was there preaching. And he was preaching on a divine encounter, a divine moment preaching about following Christ and being the man that you're supposed to be. And at the end of the sermon, I walk down there and I talk to him, and I start telling him my story and where I'm from and what I've been through and the, um, the life that I lived and that I've, I've always had a call on my life, but I've always ran from it, I guess you could say. I didn't, I didn't really want to do it. I, I wanted to be me. I didn't want to have to do something I didn't want to do. But in that moment, I accepted the call of God on my life to go into the ministry to help other people, to preach the gospel, which, I mean, we're all called. We've all been given the commission to go into the world, preach the gospel. Um, but he was here at this graduation. He, he, it was a month after that, he came back for the graduation. And uh, he was actually trying to steal me as a young adults pastor for his church, but I told him no. And my, well, my dad pretty much told him no. <laughs> hey, he didn't vocally say it. It was the look, you know. <laughs> you know, I'd like to offer your son the, the young adults pastor position at Center Point Church, and I could just see my dad turning red. <laughs> That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to be going back home. <laughs> but at this point, I uh, I'd put on 45 pounds in three months from where I was at when I first came in. Um, and there was more pictures, but th th there was a picture that specified oppression that I wanted to show. But it just... It, me and Miranda was out eating sushi one night, and she took a picture from me across the table, 
And I had this look of, um, there was a spirit on me that I, you could see it, an oppressive spirit. It was in my eyes. It was in the way that I looked. You could tell. Um, but she never gave up on me. She believed the voice of truth. She believed that Christ could save me. And if he can save me, he can save anyone. So, I guess are we going to do more praise and worship after this? Huh? Yeah? Okay. Well, before that... <laughs> There's a, there's got to be an encounter for everyone. And so with this message of me and me coming out and being vulnerable and opening up to you and, and sharing my life and my experience of what I've been through and how that Christ has set me free, free through his blood-soaked name, if the Holy Spirit has been pulling at your hearts, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says that godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So if you've been sitting in your seat today and you know that you're not living right and you know that the Holy Spirit's been working in you, he's been dealing with you, He's been talking to you about things that's been going on in your life, things that's not right, things that you held on to in that complete surrender moment. If you're ready to surrender, if, if you would come forward and be vulnerable with me, or if you're fighting a battle, needing strength and victory, come forward. My dad will pray with you. I'll pray with you. But don't, don't leave here being the same person that you came. If you've came in here with shame, guilt over past things that you've not fully given to God, if you've got issues in your life, <clears throat> whether it be drugs, alcohol, pornography, any stronghold, fear, anger, bitterness, envy, jealousy, any of these things are being active in your life and you're ready and you say, God, I'm done. This is the day. I'm finished living like my old self. I want to I wanna pick up my cross today. The altars are open if you would like to come. And if not, you can come during worship. It doesn't have to be here and now. It can be at any point that you make the decision. As long as there's a moment where you call on God and you say, God, I'm a sinner and I'm not worthy of your forgiveness, of your grace. Come to him in a broken state and only in that broken state can he take you and mold you and shape you into the person that you belong. And only then can he use you to answer that call that he's got on your life. So with that,